Hey everyone, it's been too long, but I'm back. Um, this is Dan Willis. This is uh, a video that I have told a few of you has is coming. Um, some people have reached out to me recently about the the latest goings on, whether it's politically or economically. Um, clearly, there's there's been some huge uh, development since the last time I did a video. Um, so I, I felt like it was time to, to put a lot of this together. You'll notice a different format. So I, I did spend some, spend some precious hours putting together a little slide deck to help, help us follow along. And I really wanna highlight a few things around the, uh, the meat and potatoes of this video is going to be something that I think is unfolding now and is not getting a ton of attention. And when it is that attention is from a media perspective, is heavily slanted and I think geared more towards influencing opinion than it is really informing readers about um, what's going on or listeners or watchers or whatever the case is. But with with that said, we're going to just kind of, I wanted to do a quick transparency check for 2020 so far. Let's just kind of see what things I got right, what things I got wrong. Um, firstly, the election. Now, I don't really care who voted for whom or which candidate. Um, but what I said a few months ago about there being a high likelihood that we were going to get a kinetic election that would ultimately be contested, here we are. We got it. Um, it's, it's surreal to watch. It is very surreal to watch happen. Um, I put up a, a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago a bit, it's like, you know, not, not hard to call, but really hard to still watch and live with. So, um, that, that's one, that's one item that I think we were able to, to square the circle around pretty quickly to see, Hey, this is going to be one hell of a political fight that we, we encounter this election. Um, one thing that I think I got pretty wrong was my take on markets and specifically the equity market. They didn't do Equities have shown some volatility. Um, the VIX has been averaging somewhere in the mid to upper 20s, I think, which is, I mean, that's double the implied volatility on uh, the S&P 500 than we've seen in the last several uh, last couple of years, I think. it's We were seeing volatility realized, <clears throat> excuse me, about 10-12% um, on a bad month or a bad stretch a year or two ago. Now we're seeing it you know, 20 or 25%, but stocks have, have shrugged off all of the, the bad real economic developments, right? So we had various levels of um, lockdown in the United States, depending on what state you lived in. We're not gonna get into the, the details on, or I'm not gonna do my take on lockdowns today, but um, what that effectively produced was, was pretty weak economies, especially within the entertainment industry, the leisure industry, restaurants, just where we like to spend a lot of those discretionary dollars, those places were decimated. Um, I've seen estimates ranging anywhere between 50 to 70% of small businesses under 40 or 50 employees aren't coming back that have closed. I, I've talked to several of you that have either been impacted yourself or know someone close to you in your circle that you know, is basically gone out of business or on the verge of going out of business. So I understand that um, times are, are incredibly difficult. Whatever whatever position you you find yourself in, whether you've suffered from the pandemic itself, from a uh, virus or a disease standpoint, or a close loved one has, um, that has been incredibly challenging, I know, across the spectrum. Whether you've been impacted economically, you lost, you've lost your job, you've lost your business. I, it's, it's been really tough out there this year. Um, <clears throat> you know, I wish I could say that I've got super positive. You know, we're, we're about to turn the corner any day now. I, I, I don't think that. We, we could see, um, we, can, we could continue to see some, some bounces off the lows we experienced in the first half of the year once things shut down. But I, I don't have a very rosy outlook for the next year as we wait for Congress to start spending. So I, I've gotten markets kind of wrong. Um, not bonds, but definitely equities. Something I think I got right, you know, was um, calling COVID, you know, a serious threat. Now, 
there's a lot to discuss in regards to COVID-19 and that we will save for another video. There's been a lot of developments both on a um, therapeutic and prophylactic front in terms of what works and what doesn't that hasn't really had the light shed on it at all, which I find curious. Um, there have been disparities between countries that lock down heavily and they're starting to see a second wave, but then you have countries like Japan that you would expect to see a virus like this just decimate them, especially given the um, they have the highest per capita population of elderly folks on the planet. You, you just, but their, their deaths per million are a, a small fraction of what you're seeing in uh, Western Europe and what you're seeing here in the United States, which, you know, my take is this has been a complete failure and betrayal from a, a policy and agency level uh, here in the United States and elsewhere, but, you know, specifically here on most levels. I mean, if not all levels, it, it's, it's been, re I'd say remarkable to watch, maybe too much. It's been pretty depressing. Um, it's, it's been tough to kind of go through this. So before we get into the main part of the, the pitch tonight, the show, whatever you want to call it, um, I just want to say a quick piece about, you know, I'm going to tell you some things that may scare you, although I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sharing this information to strike fear. I think fear is, fear is your enemy and when it comes to action. And action needs to be on the forefront of your mind. So what, when I say action, I mean things like taking care of yourself first and foremost. Um, I stepped away from most social media and doing any videos for, what, two or three months? Uh, I had to get my diet straightened out. I had to get back into a good workout groove because I spent too much time putting my health off this year because we moved and we had all of these these homestead projects going on. And that was really, I wanted to get a lot of that stuff done and get some experience under our belt before I looked to other things. But by the time the summer was over, I was so worn down and exhausted from a bad diet and not really taking care of my, my body that uh, I just, I had to focus on that. And that's the first thing that we can all agree to, that, you know, you can, you can start right this moment making decisions uh, and taking actions to improve your health personally at the individual level. I'm a big fan of, of assuming as much responsibility for yourself as you can possibly handle and always looking for ways to, to grow that, that capacity. So uh, being healthy uh, and being prepared to, to deal with some crap from a physical standpoint is a, is a huge leg up. The secondly is, you know, what, what do I start thinking about in terms of, um, well, well, we'll save that. That's the big thing, you know, focus on your health because I, I think you can really take the data are starting to, to show, uh, that you can, you can take a lot of steps on your own before we get a, a solid vaccine or before we get something that seems to more easily nip this thing in the bud. Uh, don't, don't just sit on your hands and wait because maybe what you're waiting for doesn't come. Um, and with that said, let's, let's move into our, our deck tonight. You'll notice this is new. You'll have to bear with me. While, <laughs> you'll have to bear with me while I get this going. Uh, hopefully I'll get some stuff done in post and it won't be, won't be too awful, but I I've titled this talk, uh, cigarettes and gin surviving the great reset. So, Surprise, surprise, that's that's the conversation we're having tonight is we're going to talk about the Great Reset. Uh, several of you have reached out to me about what's going on, it, expressing almost a sense of just um, like demoralization, but with, with you know an antenna out saying, hey, I, something is afoot. I don't know what, um, and I don't know the details of everything, but I think I've got a pretty good handle on what we might be looking at here. Um, and, and the title Cigarettes and Gin comes from a two themes that I really kind of latched on in George Orwell's novel 1984. And the, fir the first theme is cigarettes are smoked heavily throughout that book. And they're all victory cigarettes. They all come from, you know, the 
organization the state runs to produce cigarettes for the masses. And um, I used to smoke cigarettes. Um, and one of the reasons, I, I remember being a kid and always thinking, watching old war movies and being like, oh, wouldn't it be so nice <laughs> to not have to worry about um, taking care of yourself? You could just smoke cigarettes and drink because you're probably going to get shot, you know, in, in the war. And there's this great excerpt from this book. There, the narrator's, uh, oh, well, we don't want to do that. We're just going to keep the color scheme and not show that message again. Anyway, um, the narrator goes, and this is, I'm sorry, this is at the end of the book, right before Winston, the story's protagonist, um, confesses his love for Big Brother. There was an announcement that the war was won again, and he's sitting in a cafe, and the narrator comes in. The voice from the telescreen was still pouring forth its tale of prisoners and booty and slaughter, but the shouting outside had died down a little. The waiters were turning back to their work. One of them approached with the gin bottle. Winston, sitting in a blissful dream, paid no attention as his glass was filled up. Uh, I've definitely filled up my glass this year, more than once. And I'm sure I am not alone in that. Uh, that was one of the big things I had to cut out of my diet. But I think this is really, I don't know, I don't want to use, this is really indicative of, of kind of where we are in the United States. And it's crazy to see it because you, you read about like the beginning of the USSR when Stalin rose to power, uh, drinking vodka became a national pastime for Russians. And it got so bad as the 20th century unfolded that Mikhail Gorbachev en ended up having to push pretty heavy prohibition uh, legislation in Russia just because people were just drunk all the time. And in the 19th century, almost everywhere, everyone was almost always drunk. That's why you probably saw lots of terrible um, health outcomes during that, that century especially. But it, we, we often look for things to numb us when the world that we thought we understood starts to show us that maybe, maybe we didn't understand it. And I want to highlight some things that might be breaking some people's models, mental models on how they view the world. Part of it is we're being gaslit like crazy. And if you're unfamiliar with what gaslighting it is, what gaslighting is, it's basically um, an authority, whether it be a media authority or a politician, telling you something that is totally false to make you think you're crazy. Now, I don't know that that's the actual aim here, but the Maybe it's, it's narrative creation, but on the, in the New York Times on, on November 19th, that was last week, um, they ran at the bottom of one of their summary, you know, they have a summary piece where they cover like 10 or 12 different topics and have four or five paragraphs per topic. You saw the story with the title, The, base, the Baseless Great Con Reset Conspiracy Theory Rises Again. And um, so, yes, people have begun talking more about the Great Reset. It is interesting here that they call it a baseless conspiracy theory. Uh, that I do not believe they have any evidence for. Uh, here's, here's the opening of the article. A baseless conspiracy theory about the coronavirus has found new life as cases surge once again. First piece is it's not really about the coronavirus. It's about what the coronavirus is being used as an excuse for. Um, there, there is, there's a lot of validity to that, as we will see. On Monday morning, the phrase, the Great Reset, trended with nearly 80,000 tweets and with most of the posts coming from familiar far-right internet personalities. The conspiracy alleges that a cabal of elites has long planned for the pandemic so that they could use it to impose their global economic control on the masses. In some versions of the unfounded rumor, it is only President Trump who is thwarting this plan to keep the scheme at bay. So um, just a couple of things on, on the structure and the framing of the article. The first four words have a lot of emotional value in them, depending on some of your ideas about the truthfulness of maybe the media at large, governments, business leaders, so on and so forth. But the language here is very charged and they're shaping what you should think about the content of what they're, uh, the, the following content. Immediately you're saying, oh, a baseless conspiracy theory. Um, and another thing that's interesting here is this in the second paragraph, or really the first full paragraph, they they associate this this theory 
with far right internet personality. So there's another, there's two emotional kind of um, shots, I think meant immediately to, to spike your distaste for maybe some folks that hold far right conspiracy theories of which there's no shortage. And the press sure likes to talk about them. But um, I, I found the framing here and, and that they're using kind of, you know, trigger words or whatever. Interesting, because it's clearly they're looking for an emotional pull. And then they, you know, they mentioned Trump later. So there, there's your third, like, <laughs> if you're predisposed to think Trump is, a, is the worst person ever, um, or the worst president ever, obviously you're going to have quite the emotional response to this first chunk. So moving on, the narrative first took root in late May when Prince Charles and Klaus Schwab, the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, announced plans to convene world leaders and discuss climate change and how to rebuild an economy damaged by the pandemic. The meeting was branded as a, quote, great reset. And the false rumors about the tight-knit group of elites manipulating the global economy took off. So, False rumors about the tight-knit group. I don't know what specific rumors they're talking about here. If they're if they're trying to associate it with the idea that the pandemic was planned by these folks, yeah, that's probably uh, the likelihood of that being true is extremely low, exceedingly low. But the likelihood of um, the ruling class—I will call them what I believe they are—the likelihood of the ruling class attempting to shape society for whatever reason under the god uh, because of a pandemic is here i mean let crisis let no crisis go to waste right this is this is a huge opportunity if you're politically ambitious in terms of the pandemic let's continue then over the weekend and into monday morning a video of prime minister justin trudeau of canada speaking from a united nations meeting in september gained millions of views online in the video mr trudeau referred to a quote great reset and also happened to utter the words, build back better, which conspiracists saw as a tie-in to President-elect Joseph Biden, who had used the phrase as a campaign slogan, which is kind of interesting. I, it, it does matter when um, folks in power use similar language. They are often trying to express the same idea. Um, and importantly, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of prominent leaders talking about a great reset in these two paragraphs. So they get your emotions, you know, jacked up with these, with the opening and what, how they associate this conspiracy theory. And then you might not pay attention or you might miss the fact that they're also, then <laughs> they give you evidence of like, no, people are talking about a great reset and these people are leaders, political leaders, business leaders. Um, that's interesting. Really poor, uh, if your goal is to deliver like unbiased information to your readership, this is an awful, awful way of doing it. Soon, far-right internet commentators with records of spreading misinformation posted about the conspiracy, collecting tens of thousands of likes and shares on Facebook and Twitter. The posters included Paul Joseph Watson, a former contributor to InfoWars, and Steven Crowder, who has falsely asserted that coronavirus death tolls are inflated. So again, another appeal to, or no, another... Um, association with very charismatic, very polarizing individuals, both with Steven Crowder, who's a conservative, kind of like a geo, he's almost like a full on just Republican, young Republican commentator. And Paul Joseph Watson, which if you're unfamiliar, InfoWars is the outlet run by um, Alex Jones. And we all know how polarizing a figure Alex Jones is. Um, some people, almost nobody has a neutral opinion on Alex Jones. You either love him or hate him. So here's the last bit of the piece, and we'll close it. Soon, far-right internet commentators with records of spreading misinformation. Oh, did we read that? Oh, yeah, we, did, we didn't read this. Um, they, they got a bunch of likes and shares on Facebook and Twitter. The posters included Paul Joseph Watson. Da, 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 da. No, we did read that. Joan Donovan, the research director at Harvard University's Shorenstein Center, said it was maddening to see the same networks of influencers traffic and recycled conspiracies and get in the way of delivering accurate information to the public. What is true is that COVID is on the rise in the U.S. because of poor leadership and the lack of a nationally coordinated response, Ms. Donovan said. Um, and, and some of what she says about COVID being on the rise is true, but I, I don't think any of these conspiracists allege that, that COVID is on the rise because, well, 
that might not be true. I don't know all of the the content that these folks have put out and what they've said about the Great Reset. I'm going to approach it from a totally different. I mean, I think COVID is the cover, but the reasons why the reset is going down are are energy based and economic. Um, and there's a little bit here. The, the I don't know if it was the author or editors or who, but somebody reached out to to Twitter to complain about this not violating their their community standards, you know, lots of, lots of censors out there these days coming from the media. So that was the New York times on, what did I say? That was 1119. Here was the New York times of this year on April 10th. Also of this year, after the pandemic, the big reset, perhaps it's the one word that matters. They used big back in April. Not great. So it totally, this is totally not a far right. When the New York times does it, it's, it's not a far-right conspiracy. But when anybody else, or if anyone who does happen to have right-leaning politics and is a commentator, then it's a far-right you know, extremist conspiracy like QAnon or some of the more wild stuff out there. This is unbelievable. Some of the greatest advances in American history were birthed by disaster. So explain to me... Uh, Timothy Egan, by the way, has been a... He's an op-ed writer, has been for about 18 years the New York Times. He's written some books. Um, and don't at me about this being an op-ed. I, I, there are still editorial boards. Um, and that, that last piece showed, I mean, the, the framing was dripping that they were looking to get you to, to basically discredit anyone that, or um, reject the idea of the big reset being something that should be on your mind and also reject anyone who says it is. And thirdly, just you know, trust your overlords, they'll take care of everything. But here's how this piece opened seven months ago. Every crisis opens a course to the unknown. In an eye blink, the impossible becomes possible. History in a sprint can mean a dark, lasting turn for the worst or a new day of enlightened public policy. Be still my heart, but I see the latter. Some of the greatest advances in American history, liberation of slaves, social security, robust clean air and water mandates. Liberation of slaves, I'll give you that. Social security, I won't give you that and robust clean air and water mandates as some of the greatest advances in American history. Um, have you ever heard of Flint, Michigan? That wasn't that long ago. Anyway, uh, these things were all birthed by disaster. For now, the coronavirus pandemic is an epic of sorrow and has many mortal months still to run. But in the midst of our suffering, our grief for loved ones, loved ones lost, our loneliness and social isolation, we have a chance to re-engineer our world. Look at that the last bit of that sentence. Timothy Egan in April in the New York Times in an op-ed, fair enough, but I mean, remember what the last piece said. It's, it's a far-right conspiracy. He's saying that the pandemic is giving us an opportunity to re-engineer our world. When you re-engineer something, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that you, you make a major change to it. <laughs> you know? I don't re-engineer my pencil when I sharpen it in a pencil sharpener. But if I were to take my pencil apart and somehow turn it into a pen, that would be a pretty ambitious and dramatic re-engineering. This is the exact thing that that I am, the, the work that I've done in terms of the Great Reset. That This is what they're telling you. And more importantly, what the last piece failed to mention is, at least for my purposes, I have only pulled information from the World Economic Foundation, Klaus Schwab, who is the executive director of the World Economic Foundation, and folks from their website or, or um, agencies that have partnered. They have basically the entire S&P 500 plus multinational companies all as partner companies. And they have the UN and, they, they, uh, and other think tanks and kind of supranational agencies and they, they host panels about, hey, how are we going to tinker with things and change things? And, oh, isn't COVID-19 providing us a great opportunity to do that quickly? Um, I don't have the rest of Timothy's article here because we're going to co cover what he talked about. But I, I just found this to be such, such a ridiculously obvious example of how careful not care how you have to treat uh, information from from mainstream sources because more often than not 
the information they're giving you, not that it's fake or outright lies. In this case, it it it's a large stretch of very large stretch of the truth. Um, but it's not outright lies. So it's not fake news that we have a problem with. That, that's fake news is pretty easy to handle. You can prove it's fake. Um, we have fiat news where it doesn't necessarily exist to inform you from a neutral standpoint. It exists to shape your opinion about something in a specific direction. And it, and it acts as opinion that is that is um, disguised as analysis. So it looks like, oh, I'm being analytical, but really they're just giving you a load of crap. Um, to kind of continue on with this theme of, of how much we're being gaslit, especially this year, um, this is some COVID-19 edition. As I was putting this this deck together on, on Canva, oh, I'm sorry, no, this is, oops, I would, oh, crap. I gave away the punchline to a joke. <laughs> um, now this is another interesting example. This is comes from US Right to Know, and this is an, a media outlet that's small, uh, which I, I tend to like, because if you're big, you probably serve, um, you serve some ends that I might not think, that I might think jeopardize your integrity. But in any event, what they do is they file Freedom of Information Act lawsuits to obtain public record or detain, to obtain private records and, and share them with the public about issues concerning, you know, of public interest. And this is huge. Um, a nonprofit named Eco, Eco Health Alliance orchestrated key scientist statement on natural origin of SARS-CoV-2. Um, these folks sued Eco Health Alliance and got their emails. Let's take a look. Emails obtained by U.S. Right to Know show that a statement in the Lancet. Quick break. The Lancet is a very, very prominent medical journal. You know, serious, serious stuff only hits hits the Lancet, right? That that you would expect to be rigorous. Um, authored by 27 public health scientists condemning, quote, conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, was organized by employees of Eco Health Alliance, a nonprofit group that has received millions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer funding to genetically manipulate coronaviruses with scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Okay, another great use of the uh, terminology here, conspiracy theories. If, if you're starting to pick up you should be able to see this. It is a it is a phrase that is used to elicit a very specific uh, response. Oh, okay. They're conspiracy theorists, meaning they are not. It's it's just it's meant to discredit, right? It's it's a pejorative more than it is a a description of someone who has a theory about a conspiracy. It, it is packed with signal to the reader saying here's what you need to think about the folks that are conspiracy theorists or that have this conspiracy theory um the conspiracy theory about COVID 19 not having natural origins is actually proving to be closer to reality the the um the overwhelming evidence that we have is that it is it is the result of gain of function research that's been around for almost 50 years and there's, I do not, I made a joke back in like March about, you know, this is China's way to kind of force a devalue of a dollar as, as you release this awful uh, pandemic on the world. I, I don't know that China released anything. I would say there's, we'll, we'll maybe never know that or not in my lifetime or, or, you know, I'll be an old man by the time something like that hits the tape. But um, let's assume that it was just an accident. You know, someone... It, it, it got into somebody and that worked in the lab and, and they got out and they brought it with them. Um, it is concerning to me that folks like uh, Dr. Fauci and other highly regarded public health officials have been funding research, uh, gain of function research for no other reason. I mean, they say it's to study and to be more prepared for the next pandemic or epidemic well you weren't prepared for this one so if you've been doing this this 
you've been spending millions of dollars doing all this this work for years about hell we got to be ready to handle this how are you caught so flat-footed are you incompetent or is there you know is there something like what else explains that Let's continue with the piece. Uh, the emails obtained via public records requests show that EcoHealth Alliance President Peter Daszak drafted the Lancet statement. Wow. And that he intended it to be, to not be identifiable as coming from any one organization or person, but rather to be seen as simply a letter from leading scientists. Daszak wrote that he wanted to avoid the appearance of a political statement. So here you have a gentleman who, who <clears throat> works for Eco Health Alliance and does the very thing that he wants public perception to miss. He doesn't want it to be identified as as this one cat drafts this letter and then gets a bunch of, you know, or a bunch, gets 27 public health scientists to sign on to it and say, hey, yeah, stop with the crazy kooky theories, guys. Come on. Take off the tinfoil hat, you wonks. Um which, you know, it's no, <clears throat> excuse me, it's no skin off my back. I don't care what most of these sociopaths have to say. Uh, they're, they're not fooling me, but <clears throat> it, th- this kind of stuff fools a lot of people. And now we're seeing it being ripped out into the open. I'm sure you didn't catch this in the news. I had to go find this via my, my ways. But uh, this is remarkable. Remarkable. Dazic drafted a statement. To, to cast shade on the idea that COVID-19 did not have a natural origin. And these were honestly scientific inquiries. People were like, well, how did it go from a bat to a penguin to a human? Bats and penguins don't have any natural setting in the known world where they would interact and their environments and climes are totally different. And, and humans, I mean, I had never heard of a penguin. I don't <laughs> How did this happen? Okay, it's natural. Well, we'll give you that. Zoonotic or, or whatever the term is. But walk me through your logic. And if the logic and, and the story seems like, man, that that doesn't quite add up. But, you know, a wet market in Wuhan where somebody ate a bat. But, you know, a mile away, there's this level four biohazard <laughs> virology lab. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Occam's razor, which is an imperfectly used kind of intellectual tool, but the preponderance of of like likelihood is not that it came from a a a wet market because somebody ate a bat, but uh, but because it was an accident in a lab, probably doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing in the first place. Um, the 27 authors strongly condemns conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin and reported that scientists from multiple countries, quote, overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. That is changing. That is changing uh, for a later show. The evidence is, is big. The letter, the letter included no scientific references to refute a lab origin theory of the virus. One scientist, Linda, Linda Safe, Asked via email whether it would be useful, quote, to add just one or two statements in support of why uh, COVID is not a lab-generated virus and is naturally occurring. Seems critical to scientifically refute such claims. So we have here one science like, hey, shouldn't we even put up, like, shouldn't we show a little bit of effort that we're being scientific in our, our refuting of, of these ideas? And Peter was like, nah, just just sign on to what I told you to say. Just Just sign the damn letter. Um, let's go to an email. I, I did pull one of the emails. I read, I read some of them. So this was in the Lancet. This was the actual statement. Let's read that really quickly. The rapid, open, and transparent sharing of data on this outbreak is now being threatened by rumors and misinformation around its origins. We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories, suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. Scientists from multiple countries have published and analyzed genomes of the causative agent, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, or the virus, and they overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. Look at all the citations. <laughs> they're just they're just like love bombing you with, oh, look how much research there is. I know you're not going to read any of this stuff. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are nine sites. That hey, look at all of look at this body of knowledge we have. No, you know, to to show that it's uh, coming from wildlife. Um, 
what's more important is not the the knowledge they have about they don't really have any proof that it came from wildlife but the proof that they are using or the proof it's it's a loose it's a loose concept in this day and age but uh they're they're saying we look we weren't able to use all of our super sophisticated modeling software and programs to to replicate the entire genome from a computer model and that is not the only way to create a virus as gain of function research is showing us all in real time but here's the letter from peter daszak that i thought was interesting just the opening here uh or the the opening of this paragraph the first sentence i hope you're willing to sign on to this your voice will be very influential particularly in keeping these critical bridges open between the u.s and china so i don't know peter daszak's role as president of this nonprofit. Um, you know, nonprofits are often used for reasons other than virtue. Um, but clearly there, there's some political, maybe, um, business related interests at, at not further fraying the relationship between the U S and China. And remember the timeline of this China kind of sandbagged the West, the WHO and the CDC, I, I think. The evidence is pretty clear for that. Um, to to that this wasn't that big of a deal. It's just the flu. They weren't they weren't open and transparent and sharing data as quickly as it came out. We had doctors that were getting censored on the internet in China saying this. Watch out. They're not being they're not being truthful, um, and they were all censored and disappeared. Um, and then the the joke. So as I was putting this deck together, Canva, the website I use for the presentation, there's no affiliation or sponsorship at all but uh this this popped up as i was talking shit about some of these reputable sources and the lack of um integrity in their work in light of the coronavirus outbreak we recommend checking the world health organization's website for the most accurate and up-to-date information they came out of the gate by being inaccurate and not up to date so i will pass on that but thanks for the reminder that i did not ask for um so I hope those examples rang a bell, even if it's a little one, even if it's the opposite bell that I was trying to ring. Um, the bell that I was trying to ring is just to show you how the process of like propaganda and misinformation works in, sort, in places and avenues you don't expect to see that. The New York Times is the paper of record, right? Um, you, you would not expect to see such a poorly founded piece about what the Great Reset is, um, especially after this, the same newspaper, you know, hosted an opinion basically saying what I'm going to say to you tonight. Let's do a quick time check because I, I just do not know where I am on time. All right, we're, we're not we're doing not too bad. I'll take 40 minutes. We're almost done here, folks. I appreciate y'all hanging in. <laughs> um, and, and look, I mean for this stuff to be valuable. I put lots of time into this, uh, so you will get something out of it. And to show you that I'm not just uh, one of these far-right extremist conspiracy theorists just looking for civil war and the bug to go down, like I, I, that could not be further from the truth. Like I might joke about that stuff, but you know I like to have a laugh every now and then. Um, so let's keep with the with the the theme here. My thesis about <clears throat> what the Great Reset is, is is really basic, and and. A, I think there is a reset is needed in a lot of respects. Um, and the reason it's needed is because our economic growth model is totally broken. I mean, completely broken. We have a, a growth model that's based on something that doesn't exist. Um, the second piece of this is it follows naturally. If, if the world's economic growth model is broken and some 35-year-old know-nothing hillbilly uh, on his homestead in Ohio is, is starting to ask questions. Well, guess what? I'll bet the world's, you know, thought leaders and and political leaders, governments, supranational agencies, uh, industry leaders, <clears throat> I'm sure they know this. I'm absolutely sure. And I'm also sure that they have a plan. Because if you, if you glean an insight about what the future is likely to hold, you're going a smart person with the means and the resources is going to start building a plan for how they can either take advantage of that or, you know, not get knocked off track by it or, you know, whatever the case is, you're building plans is what you do with information that you get about your world. 
That's, that's what humans do. These folks definitely have a plan. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I understand the need for some of it. Now, the big issue that I have here is uh, I happen to value highly a lot of the tenets that this country was at least founded upon. And, and if it wasn't practiced in the founding, I think the ideals are worth chasing. Uh, we've never really been the city on the, on, on the hill, but I don't think that's a good reason to not try to be. And to do that, I think you have to focus on, uh, in every way possible, treating other humans as ends of and to themselves and not as instruments or means to other folks' ends. It gets really utilitarian and really dark really quickly. Um, so what is this plan they have? That is, that is the big thing here. What are they up to? And what's your plan? So if they have a plan, you should have a plan, right? We did this thing in the military, in the Marines. It was called turning the map around. I, I'm sure I've mentioned it to some of you. Um, and it's a it's a exercise to practice thinking from the enemy's perspective. So if you've been tasked with some kind of a mission in, in this environment, you've got a map. Say, so, oh, here's how I'm going to maneuver this squad and, and that platoon. And we're going to set up our base of fire here. And blah, blah, blah. Well, that's all well and great. But guess what? There's another team on the field. And that team is going to look for any weakness in your plan or in the execution of it to pop you in the mouth and knock you off guard. So turn the map around. If you were going to be put in charge of stopping what your mission is, how would you do it? And what that does is it gives you really great, it, it opens a channel into the thinking of, of folks that might not explicitly be on your side. And I'm not saying all these folks that are involved in the Great Reset are, are, are uh, eating, eating babies in the woods while they worship the devil. You know, that, not at all. Nothing could be further from what I think. But it, it doesn't mean they're on your side. They can be varying degrees of neutral or varying degrees of not neutral. Um, so don't, let's not get caught up in getting, in getting too, uh, I guess, energized by the idea that folks that you haven't elected and probably don't know have a plan for how your, your life might look that you might not like. Um, so, so what's broken? The world's economic growth model is totally broken. And, and the reason it is, is, is this, this function. This is a parabolic function. Um, it will go to infinity or very, very, yeah. I mean, it goes, it's, it's an infinite function. And basically what it is, is the exponent here, 0 0.0292, that is 2.92% GDP growth every year compounded forever. That is how our financial system, it operates on this assumption. That's why we have the debt problems that we have is because we keep thinking that we just need to um, get more money out there to stimulate things and we'll get back onto this curve because we broke off of it 12 years ago. We've been nowhere near, uh, we, we have not been near the original trend. Now you can't quite see it in this because this is not an actual model of, of growth. The black line is the function. I think the blue dots are the uh, economic growth, but there has been a, a, a gap that's formed there post 08. But the, the idea that you need to get your head around here is that we cannot continue to believe and base our decisions on we're just going to grow for 3% forever. It's not going to happen. And in fact, Robert Gordon is an economist out of Chicago. Uh, University of Chicago wrote an excellent book called the the rise and fall of American growth and um, we basically stopped growing from a technological perspective 50 years ago if you look at total factor productivity uh, more and more of the money that we invest it goes into entertainment communications and, and data collection and processing and those don't add a lot of value um, they don't distribute value and wealth creation evenly across the population. They actually, it, it becomes very, very focused, especially with other forces at, at, pay, at bay um, or in play. Let's get the words right here. All right. Um, so what's wrong with having a, a, an infinite growth assumption? Why can't we just grow forever? Well, because we have a finite planet. The stuff that we use to pay for our growth in a non-monetary way, like energy, 
and labor is fixed. We only have so much of it. On the labor side, you can automate things. You can get you can get efficiencies and, and more and more um, productivity growth with tech. Uh, that has its its own suite and, and domain of problems. But uh, in terms of oil, nothing is more important than oil, right now even, and it will continue to be very important. We the renewables push is good. The problem with renewables is it's mostly been like a smash and grab game by a lot of smart people and nice nice suits um, that that have really white teeth and, and give great you know PowerPoint presentations probably much better than this one but uh, these folks are more raccoons than they are innovators or, or leaders of, of the technological revolution when it comes to energy oil is it folks and look at this graph this is global oil production crude oil production since 1925 and I, I only was able to get data to 2005 and this comes from uh, our finite world uh, Gil Tieverberg, who is an energy analyst, very, very interesting uh, individual with some, some really, I think, I think she's really close to being right on here. But the blue is total historical production of crude. The green is all giants, so all giant fields. And then the red is uh, the top 20 giant fields. So it used to be that your giants mattered so much. That's where you got a lot of your production growth from. Um, and here's a different chart. This is consumption measured. The y-axis here is exajoules, and then obviously over time. So I did mention renewables, and you're starting to see that ramp from the mid-aughts, and that does look like it's the beginning of a parabolic curve, and that's great. You know, y equals x squared is good stuff. We like that when it comes to um, things that make the Earth a more habitable place and maybe reduces other problems, but here's the issue you've got I mean that's almost 200 exajoules of oil consumption 150 exajoules over of coal almost the same amount for nat gas nuclear is not even on the map renewables just eclipsed nuclear within the last few years it looks like and hydro there's limited growth opportunities we know where the world's water is um, it's gonna take probably I think conservatively 30 years to if you if you held consumption um, steady if you want to consume energy the way you do today but you want it to all be from renewables uh, good luck maybe maybe 30 years and that transition is going to be incredibly important um, there's going to be a lot of change during that transition this all also comes from our finite world at uh, Gail Tieverberg there so what you're seeing here too generally is that uh, look energy consumption is is growing as we're running into a problem with getting our oil and back to back to crude here so these are discovery trends for giant fields and the blue is the volume discovered of the fields and the red is the number of fields discovered <clears throat> and what you'll see is since since about um, the end of Vietnam or right before the end of Vietnam we peaked in terms of product uh, in terms of discovery we peaked over 50 years ago and look now I mean we just do not find those giant fields like we used to and when we do there's less in them and and why that's a problem is because energy gets increasingly more expensive both from a, a monetary like a money perspective like a capital perspective and from an energy perspective in terms of the energy you got to put in to get it out of the ground once you get past um, kind of the peak of production in any given oil field or well so sorry my daughter is going ballistic in the other room I'm not sure what the issue is but um, we're, we're not going to discover our, our oil again in a way that, that makes uh, energy cheap and abundant. It's, it's not going to happen, and we're, we're consuming too much as it is now. Um, and this actually puts the United States in a really interesting problem. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about shale gas and shale oil and the, the, the boom we've had in shale these past few years. Well, that boom has been predicated on financing, debt financing at very low rates, and it, it hasn't happened. Production has gone up, but part of the problem with the production that we've, we've increased is it is too light a hydrocarbon to use for mixing of other fuels. We use a lot of diesel in the United States. We still have to import heavier crude to make our diesel and other uh, other fuels and, and other plastics on down the value chain that come from oil. And uh, oil has an enormous value chain. I mean, your modern life would look incredibly different without oil. And I just I don't just mean transportation. 
Um, so clearly we have some problems. We, we are consuming uh, more resources or consuming a fixed number of resources at a an accelerating pace and have been for a long time. And um, that's going to reverse whether we like it or not. Another another thing that's broken, and we've talked about this a lot, is, is the social the political social dynamic here in the United States. This is that that work from the Pew Research Center showing um, kind of the median Republican overlaid the median Democrat. And you saw an almost normal bell curve here back in 1994, even 2004, maybe a slightly more Republican. And actually the, the gap narrowed. Uh, it's still big purple area where there's lots of blue and red overlap. But 2017 was the break or, I, you know, 16 was the break. And 2017 shows that not only did it break, but looks like the left has grown in terms of folks that find themselves being consistently liberal. liberal. And um, conservatives have spread out and have a wider... That's, that's a weird chart. In any event, what's not growing or even remaining steady is this purple area. And this purple area was what you used to... That's all you needed if you were a candidate was you... Spend your primary going left or right if you're a Republican. And then when the general rolls around, whoop, right in the middle. That's how you win a general election as, as a presidential candidate in the United States up until 2016. Now, you're almost guaranteed a loss. Almost. I say almost because it looks like Joe Biden won. And I don't... I think he is perceived as a, a moderate status quo cat. I don't think he's going to staff his cabinet and put the... Um, make his appointments as a as a moderate status status quo kind of guy but this is this is a highlighting a problem where it's basically like increasingly more and more more and more of the country do not want to live with their political opponents um they want to live in a different governmental framework i mean the 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 gulf here is is growing larger i'm sure it's even bigger another problem is from a a prosperity standpoint an economic prosperity standpoint. This is a chart of money supply. And I'm not even going to talk about inflation. I think that's really, really misunderstood. But this is basically a bunch of checking accounts and cash and all, the world's a broad measure of, of the US's money supply. And then back in, you know, what was that, like 82, we had about $889 billion in those accounts. We now have what, like 22 trillion. Like 21 and a half trillion. Looks like there was a big jump from all those transfer payments uh, at the beginning of the year. I, mean, I, I don't know what, what that's attributed to, but the point here is that money supply has grown, what, 20-fold? Uh, more than 20-fold, right? More than, whoops, more than 20-fold. Um, that's a big increase when you consider that real median household income in the United States since the same period has gone up about 20% from $52,000 a year. And this is adjusted for inflation, real. So CPI is backed out of this. Um, but we're at, what, 68,000 as of, looks like, the end of 18, beginning of 19. So yeah, a 20% bump in median income when broad money in the U.S. has grown by a factor of, like, what's the, over 20 that the this this is a big this is just another way of looking at kind of inequality um clearly the middle class and the lower classes in the united states have been getting the short 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 end of the stick from an economic perspective for a long time and we do see uh hey there's a nice tailwind it's like median wages may be going up i don't know how long that wage pressure will last if we do get the fiscal spending out of congress and yeah we, we could actually see real wages for a while maybe a couple of years or something go up it depends on how how stable things are politically um so this this i meant to use the opening of this conversation about the great reset to show you here are the problems that that exist um that the world's leaders see and they know and not only do they know these problems exist but they're seeing increasing social unrest and lack of trust in the institutions and 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 the folks put in charge either by election or other means uh to solve some of these problems the the, the faith is wearing very thin and i think this concerns them um i think it concerns them greatly so i do have a video clip here 
see if we can get this thing going. This is from the World Economic Forum, and it's titled The Great Reset. But remember, if I talk about folks' plans for a Great Reset, I am a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Let's watch it. Whoops, did I screw it up? No, we're going to... Oh, I went to the wrong... Lots of um, public unrest. I was talking about overcrowding. All this, all this awful stuff. Our systems need a reset. And this is all that awful stuff, kind of going backwards and undoing it all. Hey, you have a role. I have a role. We all have roles. No one left behind. gonna learn how to live with the world again that's that's kind of that's the messaging here um, and like I said I, I, it, I it's not lost on me it's really not it's not like I just want to keep destroying the planet that we're all uh, stewards of you know I, I, I am and, and I know that we can't continue to assume that we're going to grow forever right that's why we are doing what we're doing out here. I think I've been pretty clear about that with a lot of you. Um, but what I am concerned about is how. The how. And there's there's two reasons. One is this is like threading. I mean, this <laughs> to get this done right is the Hail Mary of Hail Marys. This is such an ambitious political project. Um and it reduces, I, I fear that it could reduce people to, to, mean, to, to instruments, to mean, a means to an end. You know, you all have a part. I'll say we're all going to be doing something for some goal, some greater good or whatever. Uh, what, what is it and how? And will I get to have any say in my how this unfolds what if i don't want to what if i have my own plan or a group of us have some plans that are different you know just there there's lots of slick marketing around this and i'm reading klaus schwab's book right now i'm almost done um he uses lots of fancy words and 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 catchphrasing and and all kinds of stuff to to i think really wow you um and there's another video that i'll show in the next the next talk which i'll do next week um we're going to talk about the plans specifically, what the sustainable development goals are, which agencies are are proposing what, and and they've been explicit about hey, Western values are going to be tested to the breaking point. I think that means Western values are going to break, and I think that means, you know, Western values, i.e., things like um, liberty an agency at the individual level. Um, there's a big there's a big push against individualism. Oh, what's wrong with the United States, especially as COVID is showing us, is everyone's too much of an individual. There's no collective body there. I, I disagree. I think that the individual is the uh, most important minority there is. We're always talking about, oh, well, you know, we need to level the playing field for um, certain underprivileged groups or folks that have that have suffered because of whether it's slavery or stupid policies or, or racism or whatever the case is, there's there's hey we need to elevate minorities. Well, what what is the ultimate minority? It's it's the person, right? and what are they going to be willing to subject me to to push this reset button? 
Um, I don't know that it is something that I will be on board with. And I, and I, I want to make sure that I understand the rules of the game here before I agree to play it. And that's what we're going to do in the next video. So um, I appreciate you spending an hour with me or whatever it's been. Um, I really appreciate your time. I will be back again next week and I'll do a video um, and, and get it out early next week. It does take me some time to edit it and get all the sound and video you know, figured out. But um, I'm really excited to bring this stuff to you guys. If you have questions, if you want to throw me a link or send me an article, um, you can do it on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter, at Guns and Money. Um, so hit me up there if you if you want to if you want to share something. If you have questions, send me a, a, an email. If you want to be more long form and formal about it, um, N O W S November Oscar Whiskey Sierra Research at gmail.com. I will I will definitely um, be incredibly appreciative of all that stuff and and respond to it and bring it into the conversation here. So again, thanks for your time. I hope everyone has an awesome Thanksgiving. However you spend it, um, be well, be healthy, and we'll see you in a week.